Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, and today's guest is Kelly Jones. Kelly Jones has worked in the world of retail for the past 30 years as a sales associate, manager, merchandiser, and owner. Currently, she's on contract for The Room's gift shop as buyer and product development officer. She's still involved in theater and film on a small scale, having been a professional stage manager for 10 years. Today on Living Heritage, we'll be talking about the business and retail side of running a successful museum gift shop. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. So just to start off, what was your introduction to retail work? Oh my goodness. Uh, In university, I worked in a shop downtown that I can't remember the name of. I know it was next door to living rooms, and I worked there doing uh, decorating for Christmas and just general sales and stuff like that. I don't even remember what we sold, but I remember decorating Christmas trees. And so you started with the Rooms gift shop uh, when the building first opened, and then you took a break to run your own tea shop for several years um, before returning to the Rooms. So what did running your own shop teach you about sales and merchandise work? Well, it's just a matter of trying to figure out what people want and what they're interested in. And the the thing I really learned is that every shop that you work in is completely different. So anything that would have been popular at my store wouldn't probably have not sold in the bookstore I managed or in uh, the rooms specifically. So it, uh, it taught me to try and read people a bit better. I'm still learning, so every day I learn something new about what I should be doing. And so how do you read people and how do you figure out what your customer base is? Um, mostly by kind of getting a feel for what people are buying and what their average spending is when they're in the shop and the things that they're asking for that maybe we don't have or things that um, they're asking for that or mentioning that they got somewhere else that they thought was a really good gift. And I also try to talk to people who travel a lot, and I have traveled a lot myself, uh, and when I, whenever somebody goes to a gift shop that's in the museum or an art gallery, I do, I do say, so what caught your eye in that place? So that kind of makes a big difference. And what are some of the challenges or opportunities that are specific to museum or gallery shops? Some of the opportunities are that you get to produce product or to buy product based on the exhibits that are coming up or... Uh, on specific uh, artifacts or artworks that are in the museum and the art gallery, uh, <clears throat> which can also be challenging. So like sometimes a, an exhibit will open up and you're like, I have no idea what we can sell in the store that would tie in with this at all. And then you're kind of like thinking to yourself, okay, am I buying this just because of this exhibit? Will it actually sell? So it's a, it's a little challenging that way. Like we had an exhibit that was potato portraits and the only thing I could think of was seasonings for potatoes and we didn't buy them because I just was not 100% sure that that was the way to go. It totally made sense but I didn't know if it would work. (laughs) And so how do you balance the theme of I guess the museum or rotating shows with what you saw in the shop? That that is is a challenge actually because sometimes because we are a tourist destination but we want to be, but we're a local destination too, so you kind of have to be balanced in terms of having things that, you know, l- tourists are going to want, like just you know, even knickknacky things like a pencil with your name on it, uh, that 
a local is not going to buy, but you want to have things that locals are going to come in to buy for. And you want them to think of it, of this place you're working uh, as a place to go buy a gift for somebody. Oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. I'm going to go to the rooms. Um, <clears throat> because you want things that appeal to them as well as tourists. So it can't be just, you know, um, it can't be all keychains and magnets. And it has to be a bit of other, other things as well. And so how do you select products for the rooms, and what do you look for? Um, <clears throat> there's a wide range of stuff. When I'm buying things, I try to think of things that can tie in to the exhibits or to the building or to the place. Um, so, like, uh, there's an anchor upstairs. So I try to ha- – so I've bought some things that have anchors on them which sell amazingly well, <laughs> uh, or like a propeller from a boat or um, anything like that. And I'm trying to think. And then like with other products where we develop things, we try to make things that are coming up to exhibits that are about to happen. Um, and then, sorry, there's just so much stuff. Uh just trying to figure out, just trying to decide things that will work, but that are also in a good price range. So we try to have a balance. That's another thing that when I'm picking things out, it's like you can get some things that are $5 or $500, but you need to know what, when I'm buying, I want to buy like one of the $500 item and many of the $5 item. So it's trying to figure out the pricing and if the quality of that product is going to work and how many we think we're going to sell. And sometimes you have no idea. Like stuff will come in and you think, okay, well, we'll sell one of the, a couple of these. And then, you know, you sell 40. So it's like, okay, so there's things that are constantly being reordered that you don't even know about, right, That when you're ordering. So it's, it's interesting that way. Uh, you mentioned place. Does place play a big role in what you, what you I guess, develop or buy for the rooms gift shop well we try i like to have i would like to have more things that are representative of this place that are made by local people um it's a challenge that way because i'm trying to be a little bit unique for the shop and still but i want to give more opportunities to the local uh craftspeople and artisans in terms of having things that reflect where we are um from anything from like a painting that of the building and the city um to having something that when tourists come from away because we always have people who have asked for maple syrup so we don't sell maple syrup in store but we have like a maple syrup seasoning mix that we just started this year and it's been selling like crazy but you have to remember that we're not just in St. John's, Newfoundland as part of Newfoundland and Labrador and then we're part of Canada and we try to have a bit of every, a little bit of things for people who are like, oh, well, I'm in Canada, I need to get something with maple syrup in it. So we're trying to remember where we are in that, in that basis for sure. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought to look for maple syrup at the rooms, but now that I think about it, I've seen tourists at, at other places ask for maple, maple syrup because yep. they're in Canada. <clears throat> yep. And well, and especially with a lot of the cruise ships that come in, we do get a lot of tour buses up from uh, f- from the cruise ships when they arrive, and they're looking for 
something Canadian because they're in Canada. So and they were like, do you have any maple syrup? And it's like, no. So we started trying this product just a few weeks ago, and it's been selling really well. So who knows? <laughs> it's always a challenge. <laughs> and so one of the products which you helped develop uh, for the rooms was a replica of the figurehead from the sailing ship Thetis, uh, which is in the rooms collection. Can you describe that project? Um <clears throat> When I got there, we thought it would be a nice idea to have an ornament that was from the rooms. And the Thetis is the figurehead. It's a sea goddess. And uh, I thought she's kind of angelic looking in some ways. And so I thought she would make a nice ornament. So then we... Then I had to figure out wh- what medium to put her in. So I decided with pewter. I uh, did approach a couple of local companies first, and they just felt that they could not, they didn't feel like they were ready to do that quite yet, to make something f- so simple. But they did suggest that we try Seagull Pewter in Nova Scotia. And I phoned them up, and they were like, yep, we can do it. And I'm like, okay, what do you need? And they said, send us some photographs. And I was like, okay. So uh, one of the gentlemen that works with me, he went up with his camera and took pictures, and then I sent them to Seagull, and then they came back with a a drawing, and then they did up a prototype, and we had to figure out about the packaging, about how to get um, a card in there that would say everything about uh, the Thetis and the history of the ship um, and the citation number and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And... uh, and then we had to get that produced, and then we had to fold them all to put them into the boxes. So, because uh, they, the company we were working with, couldn't do that. So, uh, in the end, they sent us a prototype. It was great. The cards came; they were too big. <laughs> we had to cut them all down, and then put the new cards in. So it was, uh, it was fun, and it, it took a while. Like things to produce a product for a shop, just like it's not something you can go, okay, well, I want to make this. Um, like that took us about four months to get made, uh, like to decide on it, and then get once the decision was made to get it made and produced and approved, and the design to come back, and then the ornament itself. So it took about four months for that to happen. We did a mug, and mugs take six to eight months, or sometimes longer. So it's a it's it's an interesting process. So you kind of have to be ahead thinking ahead it's like okay i'm going to get this product when can i actually sell it when's it actually going to be here and how and all that kind of stuff and then you do have to do the timing of what um the uh what look we want to have for that product and stuff like that and so if a show is coming up at the rooms how far in advance would you have to consider um i guess product development if you wanted to develop something for that show specifically uh, <laughs> uh, as soon as I know about it, I start looking at stuff. Uh, like there's an exhibit opening in September. I had my first meeting for that last week um, and really probably should have had a, a meeting a month before, but things are very have been very busy. Uh, and you have to meet with a lot of people to kind of get approvals for ideas and things like that. Um, so, like, we did... Um, with Christopher Pratt, I met with him. I tried, started looking to do stuff for him in July of last year, and the show opened uh, just in May. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and it depends on what product gets approved to be developed. Like sometimes if they say, okay, we're only got two months to develop something, 
that shortens what you can produce. So you can produce a bookmark in a week and a mug is a year. <laughs> um, part of your work with product development involves making sure that you have the proper legal rights to use artist yeah. work. So how does that work? You, <coughs> it's, it's, that's another challenge. <laughs> Uh, you have to, if it's with an artist or even with an artifact that somebody's donated, you have to get a p- permissions from them. Um, so, for example, we have a painting in our collection, uh, A Lake in Labrador by A.Y. Jackson. Uh, his rights to his works, he left to Carleton University Art Gallery. So I had to approach Carleton University Art Gallery and had to get approval from them to produce it. We also had, um, if it's an artist's work, you do have to pay Carfax fees, uh, which generally are are a portion of whatever your retail price is. And um, they generously uh, gave us a little bit of a break on how much we had to pay them, which made a big difference in us deciding to do that product project um then we had to get uh, approvals on the color correcting of the painting so our graphics person went up and this took weeks because he was trying to get it the exact right as close as he could to the actual painting in terms of color and uh, it's hard to replicate brush strokes and all that kind of stuff on something flat uh, so we had to get p- permissions from Carlton uh to go ahead with the color proofs that we had done so we sent them the color proofs they approved it then the manufacturer had to approve it then they developed a prototype mug which came to me which i showed to my department and then i had to send it to carlton carlton had to prove it and then it had to go back to uh, the manufacturer and then they once all the approvals were signed, then it goes off to get produced, and that took about six months to get produced, just to get it made. So that was so everything else was on top of that. <laughs> so there are lots of uh, legal things we do have contracts with artists so that they know what we're producing, how much of it we're producing, what we're intending to sell for, um, and what their fees will be. So and everybody's different. Like sometimes you'll have an artist who wants you to do something, and they don't they want to waive their Carfax fee or they'd rather have um, a portion per product that's developed. Um, they want to be able to sell it themselves, those kinds of things. So it's, it's a, uh, everybody's different, but we do is do a contract up and then it's signed and everybody, see, we don't do anything unless everybody's happy. And you mentioned Carfax. So for anybody who doesn't know, what is a Carfax fee? To be honest, I don't know what the whole thing stand for, stands for, but it is a fee um, for visual artists in particular um, that if you are reproducing somebody else's work, you have to pay that person a percentage of your retail costs uh, with their approval to use their work. Uh, and then the... Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. And it, and that's basically it. And you're legally required to do that. I think it's the, I can't remember the whole thing, to be completely honest. 
No worries. I just meant like just the general idea of what it was for anybody who wasn't sure. It's what it's, that was. it's to ensure that artists are paid for their work, right? I mean, it's the same with like having a, a song a fee for using songs and everything, and and written word, and and I think I think they are both included in that, uh, so that people don't get to take advantage of people who are making these product, making their livelihood, their artworks, their passions really and then you don't you're not some person who's just like oh well i'm just gonna take a copy of that picture and flap it on a car and make money off of it because that's wrong on many levels <laughs> yes um so you've worked uh you've just worked on developing product for the crystal pratt exhibit yeah. and what was that like could you describe that uh it was a lot of fun uh we started talking about it in July and kind of getting ideas and um, we met with Christopher and uh, he and presented ideas of things that we could possibly do and he liked some and didn't like others so we the ones he didn't like just went out the door because um, like, you don't want it it's not going to happen um, and we had several meetings over several months and um, we also had to get permissions from the owners of the paintings to reproduce the works. Technically, you don't have to do that, um, but it's a courtesy. And if someone doesn't want their painting reproduced, we wouldn't do it. If, so we've had, pe had people say, no, no, thank you. And we said, okay, no problem. Uh, because it's not why it's it's respectful for somebody who owns something that they paid a lot of money for and uh and just not worth the hassle of not going against somebody else uh so we met with christopher a bunch of times then we got products designed uh, and they had to be approved through different departments and then the approval comes back and then we show it again to the artist and then they say what they like what they don't like if this color is off or that color is off and then go back again get it redone and then you have to get templates from the people that you're working with so for Christopher we did um, journals and note cards with a company we hadn't worked with before and uh, bookmarks and magnets and a poster so we had to kind of get all the templates from those companies and say this and then they kind of set it up and then we send it back to them and then they came back at one point and said these are actually the wrong dimensions so we had to fix it again and then it had to go back to the artist and then it has to go back to the directors and then it gets paid gets approved again and then it goes back out again so it takes a long time sometimes so it sounds like there's a lot of back and forth what kind of uh skills do you think you develop uh being I guess that mediator I think that comes from stage managing <laughs> uh, just trying to make sure everybody's happy and uh, and sometimes you get frustrated and that's it, just normal when you're waiting for things to happen uh, and when you're excited about things happening you're like oh, I just want it to go uh, but I think it just you know you kind of have to learn patience and you have to learn um, to learn that you know that this has this is the way it has to go, and that you know be patient with it, and and when it's all said and done, beautiful things come, and you're delighted. <laughs> and um, what products are that like the best sellers at the Rooms Gift Shop, and why do you think they sell better than others? 
that is hard to tell. Um, we sell a lot of mugs, and I think people buy mugs with artist work on them because it's something pretty they can have on their desk, and people buy them as gifts. Um, we we a pencil with the room's logo on it sells really well, uh, and our stuffed animals. Uh, we have a natural history exhibit on the third floor, which is all animals from the province. And uh, we have a line of uh, st stuffies, is what everybody's calling them now. Uh, and they're animals that are in the collection upstairs. And we have two sizes, and they're very reasonably priced, and they're really good quality. Uh, and for and a lot of people buy for kids, or kids come in and buy for themselves. Um, and I think they just want to take something home. I think the, the things that sell the best are the things that remind people of their visit, uh, that they go upstairs and they see something and they say, oh, okay, I, I saw that upstairs and th and that, and uh, and I'm going to take that home and frame it and put it on the wall or anything like that. So it's it's hard to kind of pick one thing. Like sometimes it's just one thing that sells. We sell a lot of Early's little $3 bracelets, but that's something that people are just picking up because they want a little thing to give to somebody, uh, and that has nothing to do with their visit, but... Those are good sellers because somebody just wants a little thing and they don't want to spend an outrageous amount of money on it. And so what do you think are, I guess, kind of like the uh, most popular price points for items that you sell? I would think it, it depends on the person, but for the traveler themselves, anywhere under $20 is a good price point. Uh, T-shirts, I'd say most people will happily spend $25 on on a t-shirt and stuff like that. So I think like an average sale would be anywhere between 25 and $40. Um, I don't think people, once people start getting into the higher amounts, um, they're really thinking about it, um, except for Labradorite jewelry that people don't even think. They just go, yeah, okay. So... It, it's hard to tell <laughs> sometimes. And so when you're selling to different audiences, because you mentioned kids happen to buy things, and you mentioned that people tend to buy things for kids. So, like, how do you know what your age demographic is, and how do you sell to different age demographics, I guess? Well, with with the rooms, there's the age demographic is huge because we do have kids to seniors, cause, and, and there are programs designed for kids to seniors so it just means that you have to have a wide range of products that appeal to all ages and you have to kind of know that the people that are coming in are coming in a lot of the time to buy something for a family member or because we do have a lot of that. So kind of it's hard to judge what the age demographic is like it's different from like saying or a clothing store that is a specific age range with a gift store especially one that's in a museum gift shop a museum and art gallery and archives uh, your your age demographic is very very wide and just trying to figure out who you're buying for is more about who's buying for them for a gift um, and you know that there's going to be school kids coming in, so you you want to have things that school children are looking for. It's uh, 
it's hard. I I wish I could say that yes, I know exactly what our demographic is, but I honestly I can't. It's it's pretty what far reaching. And so you mentioned the art gallery, which I'm guessing is what the Christopher Pratt. Yes. And so the rooms also has an archive. So do you often work with the archives? And yeah, we do. Uh, we have uh, a couple of actually we have a new product that's coming out hopefully this week as soon as I get my citations. Uh, and uh, we've developed uh, a line of matted photographs from the archives collection. So we're give- this is a new product. We're testing it out to see what people think of it. Uh, they're 8 by 10 They're beautifully matted. They're gorgeous uh, photos selected from the archives. Uh, worked with different archivists to, to pick which ones. And then they came back with 20, and we narrowed it down to six. Uh, so it's it's been a challenge, and sometimes you, you're like, okay, is this the one we should go with? Because <laughs> you never know. Uh, and we also worked with the archives to develop um, the Beaumont Hamel trench map. So in our collection, in the archives collection, there's a trench map from Beaumont Hamel uh, that was donated to our to the collection, and uh, we scanned the original both sides and reproduced it to the exact size that the trench map is and it's folded up and it's it's exactly that so uh it's it's fascinating to work with with the archives because there's so much and the museum too just because of all the history that's there it's just it's amazing to see these things that you know not everyone gets to see uh, just because they need to be kept in the vault and in a safe place uh so that they don't you know degenerate uh and then to be able to produce something like the trench map that people can take home with them. Um, it is folded up, but a lot of people unfold it and then frame it. Um, so it's kind of like having your own little piece of history, which is exciting. Yeah, that's a really nice way to bring it all together, I guess, take a piece of history home with you. Yeah. Um, I was also wondering about marketing. Um, how does the rooms go about, or the gift shop go about marketing the gift shop and, I guess, the products that are actually in there? I would say right now that our biggest uh, means of marketing the gift shop itself um, not including just uh, like the magazine that comes out to promote it uh, is probably right now is Facebook Um, we whenever we have new products come in we do post new photographs and that seems to have a huge response which has been great Um, we are getting a new website, which is exciting, and not just for the gift shop, but for the rooms. Um, so we're all very excited about that, um, which will, I think, represent the gift shop a bit more than the one that we currently have. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just time for a new one. Um, but uh, but Facebook thing, it seems to be the thing, and Twitter, like social media is the big thing. Like social media is amazing. Like you put something on there. I've had I've posted pictures on our Facebook site and have had people come in that afternoon and buy things that they saw. And that's amazing. So it, it really works. I, I know people are like, there's sometimes people who are like, oh, I don't know about social media. And it's like, it works. People look at it. People come in because of it. And so one last quick question. (laughs) What advice would you give to museums or galleries who want to start a gift shop or who want to improve the one that they have? I think it's really just important that they really focus on having products that are relative to the exhibits and displays that they have. It is not cheap to produce your own product. Um, That is another challenge. Uh, 
But if you can produce something, even as simple as a card or postcards with your artifacts on it or, or make a big difference. Uh, I know like a lot of people want the keychain and the magnet and all that kind of stuff, which do sell, but it's important for you to have a good balance of that as well. So that's kind of what I would think. I'm Tara Barrett. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or iTunes. Thanks for listening.